At American Family Insurance, we help protect what you've achieved so you can fearlessly go after your dreams. Find out how we're helping others pursue their dreams and declare your own at amfam.com slash dreams. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully, dream fearlessly. American Family Insurance Company, American Family Mutual Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin, 53783. Blog Talk Radio. excited especially about today's guest uh i've i've told um a lot of you i've mentioned a number of times that uh what i'm realizing this little radio weekly radio show has turned into uh in a lot of ways for me is a chance to actually share some of my favorite people with all of you uh people i've met on the road people that i've gotten to know uh, I, I, I have this dream that one of these days I'm going to get them all in one room and we're going to sit around a stone fireplace and, and spend the weekend. But uh, And maybe that will happen or maybe that's heaven. I suppose, you know, either either way. But we get a little bit of that here on Tuesday nights and especially tonight because tonight we have one of my very favorite uh, special people is Noel Paul Stuckey. Some of you know him as Paul of Peter, Paul, and Mary. Some of you know him as Noel Paul Stuckey of, as his own self and his own art. Um, but uh, he's, uh, he's from, he hails from Maine and uh, New England area, and, uh, but right now is uh, spending some nice time out in California, relaxed time. Noel, thanks so much for taking some of your time with us tonight. Yeah, John. Well, it's great to be with you, and it's uh, you know a, a poor substitute for actually being with you physically, but uh, we'll make it. We'll make it work. I, I think between oh, the two of us, we have enough imagination and inclusiveness to uh, bring some other oh, people yeah. into the conversation as well. Absolutely. No, it's it's going to be great. Um, and I, I'm just, uh, I've, I've thought through a few things that uh, I, I really wanted to talk to you about, and I'm kind of excited because some of these things, actually, Noel, I've, I've never really sat down and asked you uh, or heard the whole story. And um, hmm. so I, I'm kind of jealously excited about uh, this this time together, and uh, hmm. especially this especially this very first part, I, w- I would like you to share a little bit of your faith journey with us, and especially the beginning. And, and what, I ha- what I have to tell you, I've I got to give it to you from my perspective first, and then, then you can take it from there, <laughs> because I'll, I'll, I'll never forget, I was in the dorm room at Fisher Hall 
Wheaton College. I think I'm pretty sure it was '68. I think that's when Late Again came out, and uh, we had our Kenwood turntable, you know, and our Kenwood speakers, and we put <laughs> drop dropped Late Again down on. I hope I have the right album, but I'm pretty sure it was on there. And we we put the the stylus on him, and we heard uh, uh, I visited your house again. I visited some houses where they said that you were living. I talk, They talked a lot about you. They spoke about your mm. giving. They, they mm. passed a basket with some envelopes. I just had time to write a note, and all it said was, I believe in you. And yeah. I tell you, we had chills, and we were so excited. I mean, this was the first time anybody who we knew as famous uh, from the musical side of, of the secular culture was making a personal statement of some kind of faith. So I just had mm. to share that little moment with you and how much that meant to us. And, um, and then I want to hear a little bit from you. How did that come about? Um, you know, curiously, uh, and, and I think most evident among musicians, uh, creative songwriters, um, when asked where a song comes from, uh, they can refer to some personal experience. Uh, in many cases, the most authentic songs are the ones that come from those personal experiences. But the motivation to write the song or the particular color or flavor or perspective of that moment in one songwriter's life is altered so much by the moment, encouraged by the moment, you can't help mm -hmm. but feel that there's a divine, a divine hand in the process. Curiously mm -hmm. enough, um, both him and uh, the song that became uh, uh, public again on Mad Men uh, early in the morning uh, were mm -hmm. written were written pre-galvanization uh, of faith. I don't, I don't know how to say it any other way. Um, you know, I was brought up by a, a uh, Roman Catholic mom and uh, kind of a lapsed Mormon dad to appreciate, um, you know, the beauty, sensitivity, and spirituality of everyone. But I didn't realize at the age of six or seven that was how I was being brought up. I just had an appreciation of the gospel message and its ultimate righteousness and its fairness, um, not realizing that other faiths would also have those statements and those perspectives. But nonetheless, uh, you know, starting at about six, seven, or eight, like the song hymn says, I was sitting in a church and thinking about, uh, you know, the how I could possibly relate to the creator of everything and realize that all I could do was to say, I believe in you because I had neither the words nor the knowledge uh, and nor do we ever. <laughs> our arms are too uh, short to box with God and our minds are too small to conceive of God. So, so that begat, um, you know, 
an appreciation of the gospel message, which was certainly exercised in early in the morning, which was on the first Peter, Paul, and Mary album, and then the very last day, which I co-wrote with Peter, which was a similar pattern. Um, all of those terminologies of uh, particularly Christian faith were certainly available to me as a young kid, but in terms of having any depth behind them, uh, I, I'm really not sure that that was evidenced in the in that either that music or him him of course was a little bit more sophisticated because it was you know a chance to explore by parable or by personal experience i think more than just my uh faith or experience or lack of it so those two songs were written pre exposure or pre commitment to a uh, divine sense of being. Um, I, you know, I would say the real turning point for me happened uh, in late, well, late 60s, early 70s, and probably had its first real manifestation in, on the Paul and album, uh, where the wedding song became, mm -hmm. I, I think, instructional for a lot of people. And even at that, you know, I was still so uh, heavily clothed in, in my own ego and concerned for how things would be perceived rather than just letting it flow that, as many of your listeners probably know, I changed the lyrics to uh, this uh, God-given, beautiful song uh, so that it said he is now to be among you at the calling of your hearts not, not not having the eternal perspective of realizing that you know some 40 years later that one of the largest issues facing the church is this one of uh, patrimony you know that uh, the I, matter of fact, I came up with a bumper sticker that I felt was pretty appropriate. You know, in Christ there is uh, no in in matters of theology. It's wise that we remember in Christ there is no east or west, and in God there is no gender. And to have in, invoked or you know altered what I was given, and the original lyric was, "I am now to be among you at the calling of your hearts." Uh, you right. know. To have changed that makes me feel really foolish now, in the face, as I said, of the disputes you know in in the church. Um, so I've been singing uh, since that time, since the seventies, which was a real pivotal time in my spiritual life. Um, the original lyric as as given me, and to a large extent, I think that transparency is an important part of our. Uh, outreach, uh, you know, we are but examples of the grace that we've been extended. So how 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 best to do that uh, is obviously linked to our authentic beings. Yeah, that, I yeah. Was, we call that we call that grace turned outward. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. It's great yeah. to hear you say well, that. Um, well, you and I, you and I have have you and I have always had a kind of uh, nonverbal uh, agreement, uh, kind of a heart sense. Uh, whether you know whether I was reading excerpts from your book, 
out loud on stage and, and you were playing music or you were reading excerpts and I was playing music. I think that there is an affinity. But that those those affinities are not uh, standard, standard issue. You know, not, not everyone intersects on the same kind of enjoyable level as everyone else. So we have our, you know, we have our, our hidden values that we carry with us in this life and no matter how uh, respectful uh, we are and or should be of other people, there's just some people that you want to hang out with and you're one of those guys. <laughs> so that, that's a, that's wonderful. That's a, um, I'm, I'm honored to hear you say that. Uh, there, there is a, what is there anything to the the rumor we used to hear that uh, Bob Dylan told you to go read the Bible or something like that? Oh yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. During during the uh, explosion and the uh, say, change of focus for the Beatles, uh, whose music I really appreciated, uh, mm-hmm. uh, when the when the music scene particularly was looking for uh, for that kind of authenticity. And, and, you know, the search for reality uh, of the heart musically uh, had a huge leap forward when folk music entered into pop music. Pop music was, you know, say, it's only a paper moon under a moon. I mean, there was a lot of fancifulness uh, about the issue, uh, particularly about the issue of love, but about relationships. And when Woody Guthrie and Pete Seeger and Josh White and Cisco Houston and Odetta and those folks arrived with the songs that had originated from the anxiety, the hurt, the oppression, uh, the the challenges of living in the dust bowl, of being an immigrant, when those, when the authenticity of that music began to be played on pop radio, I mean, that was really unusual. And for Dylan to be asking mm. questions like, how many roads must a man walk down before they can call him in, and, and find that that was a number two song <laughs> in the United States on the hit parade. These were, these were cataclysmal times musically and what they did was create a hunger for the answers to these questions and which has continued i mean you know for all of the argument about the brutality of some of the musical forms that are out there underlying much of the material is this quest for truth and this desire to know a reason for living uh, a reason for giving and so to that end, I feel like we're, uh, you know, all wrapped up in it. But to go back to your original question, did, was Dylan part of that process for me? Absolutely. Because, uh, you know, I, I went to, I went to Bob, visited Bobby at a very awkward time in his life. God bless him. You know, he was recovering from a motorcycle accident. But I was mm-hmm. so fervent to find out what it was all about or what he thought it was all about that I just kind of barged in with a friend of mine. Uh, to ask him these eternal questions, <laughs> I, think, I mean, I don't, I don't remember him doing, uh, you know, scratching the back of his head in a very, uh, you know, calm fashion. But the, but the bottom line was, 
He said, well, you know, you're asking all these questions. You should have you ever read the Bible? And I said, <laughs> no. And he said, well, I mean, not seriously. He said, well, you should spend some time doing that. And I took from that two things. One, it, a, a deeper appreciation of where his uh, impulse and where his uh, base of perspective had come from in many instances, which was not too difficult to uh, draw a line between much of the words that he wrote, you know, like uh, the times they are changing or blowing in the wind, Mm -hmm. you know, it's about any, any of those songs during that period of time were asking questions that had uh, a basis in uh, ultimate righteousness. Um, And so, uh, so I tore into the Bible. I, I, I mean, I really I read it uh, cover to cover, and uh, and, mm-hmm. and discovered really that it was a lot easier to understand if I started with the New Testament, <laughs> because that opened <laughs> up a lot of doors to the old mm-hmm. to understanding the Old Testament. And then right. I had the good fortune of getting. I mean, and perhaps some scholars would disagree with me, but the Aramaic version, the Lamsa translation which was so much more accessible for me and made so much more sense. Um, You know, uh, many of the phrases uh, stay with me even today. Uh, And uh, so, so the Bible became, you know, a great companion for, uh, you know, for about, well, two, three years, kind of a, you know, steady reference until i really feel to a large extent I've integrated mm-hmm. it um into the way that I look at uh the way that I look at life. Wow. Wow. But that was truly an interesting time, wasn't it? I mean mm-hmm. there 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 was so yeah, I I like the way you explained what some of that discovery was. And th- there was another thing that that surprised me was how many, I mean, I have a whole medley I love to sing of songs from that era. And um, mm. it starts It starts with actually Larry Norman's I Wish We'd All Been Ready. And then it, yeah. then it goes into uh, Everybody Want to Pray on the Very Last Day. And it goes to Creedence singing Bad Moon Rising and Eve of Destruction. And uh, mm. people get ready. There's a train coming. Uh, just mm. get on board. You know, and yeah. All these songs were, and you guys were singing about the trumpet blowing and the end of time, and you know what? Where? What was that all about? I just, you know, I really wondered. The only way I could explain it is that that God was speaking through these people, and He had a message to our generation. Uh, am I right about that? <laughs> um, I, I I think that's one way to describe it. The, you know, if God is love, and we're not only told that by Paul, but I think we see daily examples of it in our lives, mm-hmm. um, then then the manifestation of love in the world is that is that goal that we all want to be a part of. Uh, you, we want to issue in the new world. And that's why the subversion, mm. in a sense, of the flower child period of time when drugs entered in. I remember 
being a being a marijuana smoker in the uh, you know in the late sixties early seventies, I confessed to somebody that it was really an eye opener for me because I it revealed to myself that I had part of me that was hidden away. And that when I saw this, it was like, I guess, you know, Aldous Huxley's, uh, what was it, Windows of Perception or something? But anyway, I, I felt, you know, that I had to be whole. And that's part of what led me to seek uh, the divine, uh, to seek a knowledge of God's presence in my life and to have God's presence in my life. But people said to me, and so I said, you know, well, I, I think, you know, some of these drugs are, you know, for, for they're like um, experimental, you know. I mean, they're finding yeah. out. Uh, and, and a friend said to me, yeah, Noel, but some people have stayed in the lab too long. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, to me, that's what that, uh, the whole hate Ashbury, uh, where self-consciousness began to tip over unto itself and became an end instead of a means to an end became the end itself mm. and that led to harder drugs uh, uh, I, and still at the core of all of us is this child uh, seeking to become one with love you know to become mm. one at love to become um, you know a a disciple of love, if you will, and um, that hasn't gone away. I don't. I think we're born with that angst. I, I've heard, you know, I've heard scholars refer to the the hole in the heart. You know, the the yeah. Um, that's that's what my song uh, "Capricious Bird" attempted to touch upon. You know, the heart is a capricious bird that wanders where she will. If the soul were not her home, she would be wandering still. In fact, our heart is very capricious, uh, but there is a place uh, in our soul that sort of remembers that we're connected to a larger source of energy, to a larger source, and, and that is love. Wow, that's uh, that's beautiful, and that's certainly something something I believe and strengthen in other areas of the passage, passage of Scripture. I love uh, what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. He said that, um, that, that there's an eternity in every man's heart. God is perfect. In fact, in fact, he even said this is, this is how he's frustrated us. This is the burden that God has put on the sons of men. He has put eternity in our hearts, yet so that we cannot know the end from the beginning. In other words, he's put something huge and eternal, a capacity in, in us that our minds can't grasp. And that's, a per, uh, you know, to me, what, what, how can you, you can't say it any better than that. And, and, and why, we were all, why we're all searching. Figure well, what this thing out is. Yeah. <laughs> that's a curious way to put it, actually. I don't think I would... You know, I I tend to think that love is. Yeah. I mean, I know it's difficult to measure it quantitatively, but that love with a capital L is mm-hmm. the beginning, the end, the ultimate, the uh, the omega, the uh, the um, and because of that, uh, all things, you know, not just human beings. 
yearn for completion. You yearn to be at one with that love. Yeah. So, so that's the hunger. I don't see it quite so. But I, I never did go to you know, theological school, and so I'm I'm just you know I just <laughs> feel I just feel in my soul that 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 we are all one in that in that sense, and that's what we pine to be. Amen. That's cool. That's cool. Um, what, you know, it, I'm, I've always wondered what it was like for you because you did, um, when you started a solo career and then you had a period of time where, uh, you did the body works, uh, music. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think, I believe, was that put out on a, on a, on a Christian label? Um, yeah, for a while, actually, did you? Mm-hmm. A couple yeah. of Christian labels. I think Sparrow uh, was the yeah. first one because Billy, uh, I can't remember his last name, but anyway. Billy Hearn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Billy Hearn. When he heard me sing on Barry McGuire's show, he said, what are you doing with that music? Because it was a little off the wall. You know, building block that was rejected became yeah. the cornerstone of a whole new world was something that Billy yeah. really appreciated. Um, and I don't think that there were a lot, and I don't think that there still are very many uh, musicians in on Christian labels who speak in metaphor. I think they're you know right. they're pretty much it's pretty much praise music or prayerful mm-hmm. music, which certainly has its place in our lives. But I've I've realized uh, pretty soon into the relationship with Christian uh, labels. Yeah. That I was an oddball, and that I was being called yeah. to to speak to a uh, a wider generation. Well, thank goodness, and uh, because that would have been a total mistake, you know, had had you made a transition and just stayed there. Well, I um, think you know, in, in defense in defense of those who are there, I must say that when faith is new and you and people say what's happened to you or well, why do you feel that way or why won't you hang out the way you used to or why why do you seem so different as you grasp for words to describe it you're a little like a kid i mean you've been born again you know and so you're you're looking for a language that translates, and the only words it seems initially available to us are ones that we borrow from other people's experience. Right. And we, do, I mean, if you if you look at our lives growing up as young children, I mean, of course, we borrow the adult language as best we can to describe how it is we're feeling. And as we become mm-hmm. more and more aware of our responsibility to be at one with love, we want to have original words. I mean, we want it to express us and somehow I have the feeling that if there is a, you know a final moment where we have to face uh, um, where we have to face the divine, I don't believe that a an incantation is going to fly. I think I think that the uh, I think that the request from the Almighty at that point it will be total authenticity. And how could we give other? than that than to be you know totally transparent and and come up even even in our inarticulateness john don't you i mean i'm we're all so moved 
by those moments in film and story where the the implication is what we feel. It's not the actual rendering of the words. It's the it's the heartfelt expression that happens without words. Um, and so, in looking for uh, a language to express one's faith, uh, I, I'm not sure that 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 is ever ever done. I, I, I because if living in the now is mm-hmm. our calling, our calling, then we must find the language of the now to be able to express it. Mm-hmm. Well. You have you have beautifully answered a question that I didn't even ask uh, yet. Yeah, well, that, uh, that's, that's, that's the story of our relationship, John. <laughs> and, and, and that question was, uh, and that's the thing I've loved about you all along is that you've always been able to put faith in what I would call non-evangelical terms, or at least new and and personal and human and real and uh i i was i was going to ask you if that was something you were conscious about and i think you basically answered it from the standpoint that that, that you, i would it sounds like yes uh but you're also you're also just coming from a real spot inside yourself am i saying that Somewhat yeah, directly. I would. I, I would. Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm constantly up for, you know, recall, <laughs> revision, <laughs> uh, readjustment. You know, but for instance, there's a song uh, that I wrote uh, called "Father's House." You know, yeah. that began really. I I don't just began as a kind of exercise in writing an acapella melody. Uh, when I realized that what I was doing was describing my uh, my past, you know, that when it was very it was very easy, you know, to go to my father's house when I was quite young, and then as I got older and life became more and more complicated, it became arduous. Well, how do you express that as a metaphor? So I had to be going over a mountain that I would seldom climb, and then. And then one day he was there. Now, I didn't specify who the he was, but in this case, uh, you know, I think most of the implications of the Christian community would be that it was Jesus. But I really, you know, as Jesus kept trying to say that I, and he and the Father were one, so this he that I referred to, I think, was love. But I can't tell you, but all of a sudden it was there and I could see you know, uh, and I knew what my life was. So, so where do you go with that information? You know, are you called to be a zealot? Well, you might be. Uh, are you called to be a prophet? You might be. But I think to listen closely to your uh, to the resonance that that experience has placed in your heart is one of the one of the larger responsibilities that we have is to be true to ourselves and to this calling. And in that case, I'm sure you've seen the the little the little adage uh, that people sometimes do with tapestry and hang on a wall somewhere. It says, "Let me live in a small house by the side of the road and be a friend to man." You know, what if what if that were how we should manifest our faith? And I think for some of us, it does. 
you know, I was one thing I realized about you as I was preparing this interview, and that is, uh, and I think you you just gave me an illustrated illustration of it a few minutes ago when uh, I had something slightly slightly maybe negative to say about Christian music and, and you corrected me. Um, I I have, I realize that I have never heard a bad word out of your mouth about anybody. And <laughs> I, I'm amazed. Uh, and ha- have you always been that way? Or... <laughs> It, I think you know I was brought up I was brought up by uh, you know particularly my father who saw the good in everybody and always managed to explain mm-hmm. to me the possible motivation when the person was not good and wow. so I have a I have a great deal of empathy and sympathy for those who are pushed uh, by circumstance to uh, either ignore the calling in their heart for love or um, or run from it uh, because it means that they would have to be vulnerable. Um, once, I, once I understood that we're all in this together, some with varying degrees of transparency, uh, and I, I use that word, more and more, I, I find, because it is the goal. You know, uh, there's a line in a song I wrote called Love Rules. It says, uh, you know, I'm a student of transparency, more of love and less of me is the goal here. And it doesn't always work because we're certainly in an ego-driven world. And Even you and I speaking to each other, you know, what right have I got to you know, expound on what it is that I, I think is important in life. Well, I have the right as long as I stay within the domain of my own experience. I do not have that, the right to, you know, um, to drop that on somebody else and say, this has got to be your experience as well. So it comes from, you know, parental, um, understanding the other person's side of the argument. And it sometimes gets me in. I, <laughs> I won't say it gets me in trouble, but sometimes it places me in a circumstance where I feel like I'm not appreciated. Uh, But that's okay, because in a sense, I'd rather be misunderstood and uh, preserve the value of my perspective than to sacrifice that to become someone who I am not in order to gain some fractional edge in an argument or uh, or or get my way. And yeah. on the other hand, John, you gotta admit, if you let it go, somehow, cosmically, uh, in everybody's life, at some nadir, some extremely low point in their life, there comes the phone call or the touch of a friend or the mm. writer. Uh, the, the or the weather changes, or uh, something catches your eye, a painting on a wall. Um, I mean, there are so many ways to be called back to love and life that mm. to take to take a, another person's difficult situation and make it worse 
<laughs> in a sense, by not recognizing that it's theirs and not yours. Uh, it seems to be really counterproductive to making this a better world. Mm, wow. Beautiful, beautifully said, Noah. Thank you so much. I, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna wind that one back a few times and listen to it. That, uh, what yeah, it may not be yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's a little like you know, I, I really think that some of the inspiration for Dylan's tunes, you know, when he was asked what something meant, he said, "I, I don't know. I just write it down," you know. And <laughs> I think, tr- I think, implicit getting your heart you know, in a place where you can trust it to speak without thinking has been a goal of mine ever since the 60s and 70s. You know, that was mm-hmm. part, of the, part of the laboratory experiments was to, get the, uh, was to get me out of the way and trust that this trusting uh, in love would take care mm-hmm. of everything. But the, but the, yeah. uh, but the most banal of, of uh, circumstances. Okay, I'm going to get real real pedestrian now with a you know probably a question you've been asked numerous times, but what what would you say is go let's go to the the incredible Peter Paul and Mary history uh that you've had through most of your life. Um what what the can you tell us a story about a, a high point a high point story about Peter Paul and Mary? Um something that something that stands out as a highlight to you of that experience? Oh. I know I'm putting you on the spot. (laughs) Well, I just don't think, I I don't think episodically about my Uh life with Peter and Mary. I think more of it as evolving. And as with most relationships that we value, the evolution of our caring for each other went through many stages and many hiccups. I can certainly remember being most vulnerable to each other in Central America after visiting the incredible oppression that had been visited upon the people of El Salvador by a government-sponsored junta that... uh, I mean, we just broke down at a press conference, the three of us, and cried in each other's mm. arms. Mm. So, you know, I mean, people will point to, let's say, the march on Washington and how stirring and, and noble a moment that was. And, yeah, I mean, I'm, historically, I mean, Mary was even, uh, you know, moved to say we are watching history unfold. I mean, she had that presence of mind to understand that that was happening. But... To me, the the really deep and meaningful moments between people are when we are vulnerable to one another. Hmm. And Peter and I, Peter and I still have that kind of, you know, brotherly accessibility to one another. And that's why our performances, although they're somewhat limited because they're somewhat nostalgic, um, Mm -hmm. our performances as a duo honor Mary and honor the audience that, uh, you know, gave us this professional life together. Wow. Wow. Well, that's uh thank you for taking us there. Um mm-hmm. yeah. Tell us a little bit about uh, about your family. I want to know a little about your family because we're almost we're running out of time here, but um 
tell us first about your kids because I want to hear about Betty and what you guys are into the last. So tell us about your kids. How are they doing? What are they doing? Well, the older daughter, is Elizabeth, has taken over the directorship of the Public Domain Foundation, which you may or may not know collects the royalties from the wedding song, uh, a process that I set up in the early 70s because I, uh, you know, as I indicated, I prayed for the lyrics of the songs. I really didn't feel like I could take the, the, uh, the monetary gain from it, so I put it into a foundation, which, uh, you know, over the over the history of the song has probably distributed almost $2 million to various organizations. Wow. And, uh, uh, and her current, her current uh, work with music to life, uh, which is the name of the organization that's under the umbrella of the public domain foundation, mm-hmm. music, music to life uh, watches over uh, a plethora of concerns, not the least of which is reminding people of the importance of music in terms of making their heartfelt decisions um, and equating people with the mutual concerns that we have in society, you know. Uh, and so it's it's kind of a difficult concept to explain because it's quite large in terms of its um, outreach, it will move into, it will help a some organization that wants to reach the community or is already doing good work in the community, but the community doesn't know about them. So it will do a musical uh, infusion, in a sense, bringing in local artists, national artists, uh, and equating the, the community uh, acquainting the community with the work that this particular organization might be doing. Um, she's and, wow. and it gets larger and larger as she moves into this field. She spent some time out here on the West Coast taking a theater who's really quite involved in the community and expanding their horizons now so that they can really interact not only through the mayor's office, but the, you know to approach... Um, the immigrant issue to approach the uh, the environmental issues and make the community aware through the use of music uh, of how they can and stir them actually to to action by virtue of that because music you know has that capability. My other daughter uh, Kate Twin works for uh, Pathfinder, which is acquainting uh, women, particularly third world women with their reproductive rights and the mm. uh, and the dangers of disease. And uh, she's doing great work. She just got back from wow. a, an Asian trip. Um, my third daughter, the other twin, Anna, uh, works in the Los Angeles area as a psychotherapist and has a really long uh, clientele list and really does great work. But the the most uh, recent and exciting work that I'm doing is, and how many men get a chance to do this, <laughs> is working with my wife Betty, who is a uh, who was a chaplain for eight years at Northfield Mount Hermon School, uh, was uh, is a reverend uh, from the Congregational Church, uh, and in the process of being a chaplain, became convinced because of the diversity of beliefs at the school, 
that this diversity needed to be addressed in the real world. So we do a program called One Light, Many Candles, which you can find online, uh, that this, uh, where Betty reads from a variety of faith disciplines, and uh, and I sing that particular brand of Noel Stuckey song where um, you just become acquainted with the divine in uh, and and love as the center of mm-hmm. uh, the divine. So, um, and that's fun to do. I, Betty and I, I mean, not only fun, but, you know, fun is such a weak word to use. <laughs> it's so so completing, you know, and so fulfilling. But mm-hmm. Betty and I do about a half dozen of those. But we do have a DVD out now. So that's, you know, we're in our late 70s, so it's nice to be able to, send someone a DVD for either discussion purposes or uh, mm-hmm. you know, perhaps to address a particular issue. And uh, Peter and I do about a half dozen shows a year, and I do maybe a half dozen solos, and then I do maybe a half dozen benefits. So, you know, I'm still fairly active. I do, I do maybe 24, yeah. 30 shows a year. And, and I'm still involved in writing, but you know, lately yeah. I'm I'm lyriced out. I don't know about you. It's not a writer. It's not a writer's block. It's, I just want to go on vacation and write music because I really just love, you know, orchestration and music. So I brought many of my tools to uh, to California to just do that. And currently, I found myself working on an arrangement of Moon River. So I'll, oh wow! I'll make sure that you, I love that you hear a copy. It's it's really quite a lovely old song. Although yeah. the first line is very strange, you know, wider than a mile. Come on, give me a break, Henry Mancini. <laughs> Couldn't you have done better than that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it's a my. classic, well, and it's lovely. I love lovely your, to I, I love your your uh, renditions of older tunes like that, like. Um, like my funny Valentine type, uh, yeah. I just, I just love the way you work with those. Uh, and uh, and also, also you you didn't mention that sometimes once in a while you will do a concert with John Fisher. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to do a concert with John Fisher. I've been I've been yeah. after him for I've been after him for do you do you, do you know John personally? <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. Well, I would. I yeah, I would love to do. I would love to do a show. Maybe we can yeah, do well, something we, down in where you live. We'll have that, or maybe we'll do the Mount Hermon thing again. Who knows? We'll have to work out yeah. something. That's <laughs> that's for sure. Well, no, I can't thank you enough for this. Um, this has been very special, and I think everybody now knows uh, why you're one of my favorite people. So, uh, oh. thanks. Thank you. Any any last words you have for our for our dear people? Oh, just um, uh, you know, virtual hugs to them, and certainly to you and Marty Chandler. <laughs> and thank you so much for yeah. being part of my life. Hey, thank you, and thank you for what you've done for us and for the catch and for our audience. Um, just fantastic. Noel, have a have a wonderful uh, vac- rest uh, and vacation and, and enjoy your family. Thank you. Thank you, John. Good talking to you. Bye-bye. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it, folks. Um, now you see what I was talking about. Um, 
just a, a truly creative, beautiful person who speaks, I think, from the heart of love, which is the heart of God, because God is love. So uh, thanks for listening, and uh, I hope you've been touched in some uh, real way by what uh, Noel has shared with us and uh, maybe have a chance to meet him or see him. And I I do, I will tell you that we will do another concert um, somewhere, sometime. Uh, it's, it's, it's got to happen. Um, so uh, God bless you. Um, until next Tuesday night, uh, be well and uh, let God rule your heart and seek his love everywhere you go. Um, God bless you all. Thank you. American Family Insurance, we help protect what you've achieved so you can fearlessly go after your dreams. Find out how we're helping others pursue their dreams and declare your own at AmFam.com slash dreams. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. American Family Insurance Company, American Family Mutual Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin, 53783.